Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome back to the Train Happy podcast. My name is Tally Rye and I feel like there is a lot been going on behind the scenes a lot I need to catch you up on um firstly this week's guest we have the lovely Shana Spence who is a dietitian you may know as at the nutrition tea online you may have seen many of her viral posts she's always um getting straight to the point busting nutrition myths um and challenging diet culture online and so we really get into that in our conversation um discussing language around food we use such as good foods bad foods and you know things we hear in wellness like superfoods and all that kind of stuff so we get into that plus we talk to shana about her love of ballet and dance and i really enjoyed talking to her about that But before we get into that, I did mention there have been a few things going on and one of those is that as of today, you can officially pre-order your Train Happy merch. Now I have created the I Train Happy designs. You can get t-shirts and hoodies and uh, the idea is that you pre-order them and the pre-order is going to be open for three weeks so we're not making any extra clothes and no clothing goes to waste um and you can order by the link everpress.com forward slash train happy um and i'm so excited to see you in your train happy merch so pre-orders open from today until the 7th of november so you have until the 7th of november to get those pre-orders in and then your items will be sent to you after that date And not only do we have the merch, we also have the final Intuitive Movement 101 event coming. So if you're wanting to dig deeper into intuitive movement, the principles of intuitive movement, I will be hosting uh, this online workshop again. It is a workshop around the principles of intuitive movement. Then we move into a Q&A and then we're finishing with the crowd favorite, a 30-minute dance party workout to put in all that we've learned into practice so I really hope I get to see you there once again the link for that is also in the show notes so there are two tiers of ticket prices there's the full price ticket at £18 and there is an accessible ticket at £6 for those who have been struggling financially so I hope that is able to make it more accessible for you so I would hope to see you there okay that's I think all the announcements for this week so let's get into train happy trooper of the week let's do it so this week's train happy moment comes from emma and she says i wanted to write to you to tell you my light bulb moment i have always had difficult relationships with food and fitness restricting what i eat and training obsessively from getting up at 4am on my wedding day to go for a long run doing spinning class and a run on the day i gave birth to my first child to running to running london marathon just four months after having a c-section i was obsessed i could not miss a session However, I am now pregnant with my second child and I have been so ill with severe morning sickness, it has made training impossible. I kept trying to drag myself out of bed to go to the gym, but ended up being sick and dizzy before I even got there. I then thought enough is enough and I knew I had to listen to my body. I stopped training, lay down in bed and ate the food my body needed and wanted. It has made me realise that you don't have to train every day or eat perfect all the time. Sometimes doing nothing is better for your body. And I will definitely be listening to my body a lot more in the future. Thank you for your podcast. And thank you, Emma, for being so honest and open about your own experiences. And I really hope you have um, a good rest of your pregnancy and a safe arrival of your child. And I really appreciate you sharing that with us. If you would like to be featured as Train Happy Trooper of the Week and share your Train Happy moment with the listeners, then please uh, get in touch at 
trainhappypodcast at gmail.com and that is in the show notes if you just want to double check the email address and I would love to hear from you send in your questions send in your train happy moments okay enough chatting we've we've chatted a lot today let's get into the interview with Shana Hi Shana, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? How is New York? You're in New York, right? I am in New York. Um, New York is good. We are, I don't know what it's like over by you, but we're still like kind of opening up slowly and things are sort of getting back to normal. Sort of, I say slightly, Um, but still pretty good. It's uh, rainy today, but (laughs) I'm doing okay. How about yourself? We're doing good in London. I think um, we're kind of in the UK. Things have not been going so good recently and we're looking like there's there's new announcements at different points and all sorts of things. So I don't want to bring too much COVID chat into the podcast. I don't want to, there's enough of that outside of this space. But yeah, it's not looking great in the UK, but we're kind of, you know, we're riding it the wave however it comes I think at this point we're surviving (laughs) we're surviving um so uh Sean I wanted to have you on this week's podcast because I love your Instagram oh thank you Um, you're the queen of the notebook what are they called they're called like a pegboard Um, letter boards yeah like yeah 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 I know I just um people always comment on them and I'm like well it's just because I use them because people just give feedback to it. It's not like my personal choice, but I did once like a poll and everyone was like, no, we love the letter boards because I guess it just sends like a direct message. So it's like, okay. <laughs> and I, yeah, I, I followed you for a long time, I think. And everything you say, I'm like, share that, share that. <laughs> I want to share that. Oh, share that. Everything is so beautifully um, succinct and clear in your point of what you're trying to say Mm -hmm. um and I suppose we should before we get into that properly introduce Mm -hmm. you in terms of um you're a dietitian based in New York um Mm -hmm. and it's my understanding you're an anti-diet dietitian working with intuitive eating and working in that paradigm but -hmm. I would love to know your story of how you became a dietitian because I don't think that was your first career was it no It wasn't. Yeah. Um, So this is actually my second career. Um, I became a dietitian. It will be two years now or a little more than two years. Um, I used to work in fashion and I, uh, I don't know, like it, it kind of just started where I was looking at online classes because I wasn't sure I wanted to actually take the plunge. And I became just interested in nutrition and also um, kind of public health, uh, sort of working with different communities and that sort of thing. And I was like, well, in order to do that, I probably need to like get go back to school, like, you know, actual degree um, and kind of redo my career. And then I just did that. So I like quit my job. I was working at um, uh, J. Crew Madewell at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I remember quitting and feeling super nervous about it. And then, uh, you know, did all the things, became a dietitian. But um, I didn't become like an anti-diet dietitian until maybe like a year ago. Um, Just because, you know, when you go to school, they teach you all of the like basics. They're very much about numbers. So we still learned about like the whole BMI and, you know, ideal weight and all that kind of stuff. And so that's what I was taught. That's what I went out with. And I remember looking at the whole anti-diet movement on social media. So that's kind of where I got my idea with it. And I kind of just um, aligned with it. It's so powerful how places like Instagram can be and you find Mm -hmm. different podcasts and you find sources of information and you can kind of completely change your outlook on a subject. I think that's I know we talk about a lot of the dark sides of Instagram and social media, and that's like very important to discuss, but I, it's amazing how it can, can ch- change the trajectory mm-hmm. of how you choose to practice and work with people. Um, can I ask, when you were working in fashion, was it like a personal interest in nutrition? Um, had you had your own experiences with nutrition or wellness or anything like that? And then that's what kind of got you curious about doing something else? 
Yeah. Um, I started looking into nutrition back when I was in um, school, like my undergrad at college. And um, I didn't see, again, like I didn't take the plunge, but I was always into sports and still sort of looking at like health and everything like that. But I think also, um, I didn't know this at the time, but I was kind of going through my own sort of body dysmorphia issues. And of course, when you go through that, you're sort of looking at health, but not in the best way. So that's sort of what sparked my interest. And then when I was in fashion, that's when it wasn't really the fashion industry. It was just me still doing sort of research on it kind of behind the scenes. And um, I just became sort of invested. Like I I knew I wanted to work in public health. Um, I kind of knew I wanted to take that direction, and I sort of just went with it. So, yeah, that's kind of how I got started. It really, you know, it didn't really have anything to do with, like, fashion or, like, the models or anything like that. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it was just sort of my own doing. Yeah, I think uh, it is really interesting, as you said, that a lot of the education for dietetics um, and similar kind of practices uh, are still very weight-centric, still focused on BMI, still focused on all this stuff. Um, having been a, like a fairly recent graduate, did you notice that there has started to be a shift? Even like, were people even talking about health every size in like at college, or was it a case of um, that was something that was introduced to you once you'd graduated, or were there even like, well, there is also this other thing. Even if, you know, even if it was just a side note, mm -hmm. there's this other way of doing things, um, but this is the way we're teaching. Right. No, it was pure, like, um, uh, you know, and like BMI, like the whole like overweight, obesity, like uh, still telling us that obesity um, uh, has all these risk factors and all of these diseases and like chronic diseases. It was very like cut and dry. And unfortunately, well, actually, from what I hear from um, current students, I hear that some professors now are sort of making a segue um, for health at every size and kind of, if not health at every size, kind of teaching that um, obesity isn't leading to all these chronic diseases. So sort of changing, um, but not as much, of course, as we would hope, right? Yeah. But uh, no, when I was in school, it was very cut and dry. And that's sort of what I went out with because I didn't know any better. Mm. Mm -hmm. And now you started sharing this all online. Mm -hmm. How have you found that? Because like I said, everything you post is so on the money, but it can <laughs> be quite um, direct. And mm -hmm. so do you get a lot, because you only have so many letters you can put on your board. Exactly. <laughs> do, you, <laughs> do, you, do you find that there's a lot of pushback and a lot of questioning of what you're saying? Definitely. Um, you know, and I, at first, um, it's kind of hard to know the difference. You know, you're always going to have trolls, right? Yeah. That's sort of always, no matter what you post. But I sort of know the difference now, at least, uh, the difference between like trolls and people who just don't agree with you. And even with the people that don't agree and still, you know, they're still not interested in having conversation. And it's kind of funny because they'll see my, my board or even like a tweet and like you said, there's only so many letters, so many characters, right? So obviously I can't say everything <laughs> that I want to say, but then they don't read the caption, mm -hmm. like explaining things. And that, that always kind of gets me where I can tell someone clearly just kind of looked at, you know, the post and that was it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's so hard to get the whole message across because even when you put things in the caption, there's still only so many letters you can do, you know, not to mention, um, I don't view my Instagram as counseling. It's kind of just, you know, my opinions and things like that. So no one on Instagram should be, you know, looking for, um, professional help, uh, you know, hopefully. So it's, it's really hard to kind of also make it individualized because everyone's different. So, you know, I could, I could post something about pasta and someone was like, well, I don't like pasta. I like rice. I'm like, okay, that's, that's fine. <laughs> you know, we can, <laughs> that's okay. Um, so it's things like that. You know, it's, it's very, um, it's a very interesting place. <laughs> yeah. There's not much room for nuance um, and, or, or 
there will be yeah there, there will be someone who will bring up the nuance of the conversation you're like I want to try and cover it all but it's really hard um yeah exactly <laughs> and how did you discover intuitive eating was that through kind of understanding health every size and um a little bit yeah a little bit um I actually went to a conference so we have um uh, like a food and nutrition conference that happens every year. It's actually um, this upcoming weekend. And they have different um, like sessions and, you know, um, speeches and things like that. And I remember actually tagging along to one of my friends. Um, I, I didn't know about intuitive eating. And this was last year. And it was um, a session given by Evelyn Triboli, who is like one of the leading um, intuitive eating We've had her on the podcast. Big oh, fan yes. of Evelyn. We love yes. Evelyn. Yes, yeah. she's amazing, and that's where amazing. that's where I learned about it. She was she was so good, and I kind of because again I did not know what this was, and um, the room was packed. So clearly she's very popular, and I remember just being like really kind of in awe, right? Because not only was she just talking, you know, about you know, mindfulness, there's a lot more to intuitive eating, but the way she described it was really powerful. And also it's backed by science too. I don't think people realize that, um, whenever we're still even health at every size, you know, there's a lot of, um, actual science, you know, a lot of people, of course, you know, will always say, where's your citation? I'm like, it's, it's literally on the internet. You can just Google it. Um, but it's, it's kind of amazing with the whole intuitive eating. And that's sort of where my mind began turning. And I um, began looking into it myself. Yeah, I mean, on a personal level, I feel like with intuitive eating, it just kind of, particularly if you've been in diet culture and have been through that process and have really struggled and you know food has become a maybe a bit more fraught and mm -hmm. a bit strained um the kind of the mindset shift of like just being kind to yourself again and and kind of going hang on a second I can be really nice to myself and I this can be I can feed myself in a really loving way and I can give my body what it needs and when I am working cooperation with myself it can be really profound and when we had Evelyn on I what I wanted to get across to her was how much this process and I'm sure you feel the same with your clients as well like the process of becoming intuitive with the way you eat and mm -hmm. you know I'm a big advocate of intuitive movement which we'll chat about um but all these things it's not just um it's not just the food it's not just the exercise that connection with yourself um is in all everything else and it's really powerful when it's kind of you can take that trust that you've built with yourself into other situations where you need your intuition and you need your body's guidance whether it's in relationships or work situations um have you found that have you found that there's yeah there's crossover with like the rest of your life a little bit. Um, I mean, I think that I, I, so how it happened was like, I started realizing or started looking at how I was eating and how, um, well, first, of course I got the book right after it. Right? <laughs> so that's, that was a must. And then I remember reading it and like looking at all the principles and even still, um, that, that was also when I started making my transition into an actual like anti-diet dietitian. And that's sort of, um, you know, how I kind of paralleled that with my current life, um, sort of realizing how I was eating and how I was viewing movement and also meals and things like that. So everything that I post about or everything that I even tell my clients when I have sessions, it's from personal experience, you know, because um, I, I get that a lot too, where people just think that we're just saying these things. And I'm, I believe that most of us who are on the same wavelength it's coming from experience. That's, that's why we're, you know, posting about it so passionately. Um, and I definitely noticed the difference for sure. Definitely, uh, the different mindset in how you talk about food as well. That was a big change for me. I remember reading a chapter on that and I, 
at the time I was still saying things like guilty and treat and all those things. And, you know, there were still foods that I thought were bad. So it was definitely a mind change or a mind shift, I'll say, um, which was really great. So I, I noticed a difference for sure. Yeah, I would love to talk about that maybe a bit more about that kind of the neutralizing of language around food mm -hmm. and um, yeah, how you explain that to people you're working with and how you can explain that to people listening at home and why that's so powerful in terms of how you relate to the food you're eating and choosing to eat. Definitely. Um, I just, you know, what I, what I start off doing is having people make a list, which is really important. And it doesn't have to be super detailed, but I always say make a list of foods that you're eating now and make a food, uh, make a list, sorry, of um, the forbidden foods, right? Because when, when we start off in this process, we all, whether we realize it or not, we have like forbidden foods that we um, tell ourselves we're not allowed to eat. And I think it's often a surprise how many foods are on that list. And I tell them, and that's kind of the first step, is saying, okay, so what we're going to do is start slowly reintroducing those forbidden foods back into your meals. And it does not have to be, like, at every single meal, you know, especially if it's, like, a cookie or something like that. But it's sort of about knowing that you can still eat these things. So a cookie, you know, we always categorize it as bad. You know, even when we were little, um, I remember teachers, um, maybe when I was like five years old, um, saying, you know, that food is good for us and that food is bad for us. So that's kind of where it starts. And it carries with us into adulthood. So neutralizing foods is so important um, because whether we realize it or not, whenever we think we're eating something bad, we start to think that we're bad, like for eating it or that we're, you know, bad for losing willpower. And I don't think many people realize that, you know, it sounds sort of childish when we say I'm bad, but that's kind of how we're viewing ourselves. So that's why it's so important to rethink that whole process. Yeah, I mean, the language around you know, oh, I'm so naughty for having this donut or I'm so mm -hmm. naughty for having a second helping if you're still hungry or, right. um, yeah. yeah, it's been like, it's been interesting for me in terms of the things I had deemed bad. And for me, it was certainly things like, oh, I can't have that in the house. Mm -hmm. I can't have that, th that food in the house. Granola was one of them. Couldn't have granola in the house because I'd eat the whole box. Right. Um, and so for me, it wasn't just necessarily whether I thought they were bad. I might have thought they were really tasted really good, but uh -huh. it's for what I didn't have, I thought I had self-control over. And I say mm -hmm. quotation marks. Um, and I realized, and I wonder if you realize this too, often the foods you don't think you have self-control over um, are because you've told yourself that you that's a bad food you can't have it. So when you can have it, you're just like, well, I've got to be all or nothing in this situation because it's going to be ages until I let myself, ha let myself have this again. Mm -hmm. So, so for me, granola, I'd buy it like, you know, once every six months, like mm -hmm. eat it for a few days straight. <laughs> and then, and then, but then I would go without for ages. Cause it was like, Oh, I, I can't trust, I can't trust myself around that. And right. it was like a light bulb moment when I realized the restriction mm -hmm. was causing me to like obsess over the food. Yeah, that's the thing. That's what we tell people in this whole process. You know, it's a lot of times people use the term addiction. Yes. And I think that's such a, it's not the right term to you. Like, I definitely understand why you would feel addicted. But, you know, no one goes to like rehab or, you know, I don't count, um, you know, they have like Overeaters Anonymous, which is like mm. very problematic in itself, but it's not an addiction. It's just like you said, you've been restricting yourself from whatever food or you're mentally telling yourself, I shouldn't be eating this and you avoid it. So once you get your hands on it, you feel like you're out of control and you feel like you don't have willpower. And that's so important to realize because I hear this all the time where people, especially sugar, right? Like I've heard, um, Sugar is like uh, cocaine or something yes. like that. And, you know, that's, I mean, to 
say that is you, I, I just want people <laughs> to realize what they're saying. You know, cocaine is very serious. Um, you know, you can die from like overdoses and it's sugar's not like that. Um, you know, but if you restrict yourself from it, or if you feel the need to keep it out of the house and then later on you're just binging, yes, it feels like an addiction. Um, so I just want people to start saying maybe it feels like an addiction instead of they're addicted. Um, I think those are two very important distinctions. Yeah, isn't it something to do with the the cocaine sugar um, comparison was made? Because mm-hmm. it was, I think it's a study done on rats, and it was like exactly. one That's part of the brain. Problem. Yeah, there's a there's a there's a Twitter account. Side note, isn't there a Twitter account called like? yes but it's on rats or something like that where it just says like oh where we're making all these bold claims but the studies have only been done on rats they haven't been done on humans so right um but I think isn't it that it's like the same part of the brain that if a rat has cocaine lights up that when they have sugar um but I have yeah. heard that myth busted like there's lots of things that light up that part of the brain and it's not just yeah, those two the things dopamine. Yeah, 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 exactly. And exactly. So that study, not only was it done on rats, they like starved the rats as well. So of course they were going to look like they wanted all the sugar. You know, I think if they did the study on humans and did the same thing, yeah, it would kind of look like humans were addicted as well. So it's so important, especially when people, even though this will never happen, but I was going to say when people argue with you online, it's so important to kind of also realize the studies that you're pulling up. Are they done on animals or are they done on humans? Was the study size five people or was it like a hundred people? Was it diverse? Was it, you know, there are things that you have to realize because anyone can name a study about anything, but you have to look at how the study was done. So that's a whole nother... (laughs) other conversation but but you're right it's important that yeah it's important that we question things and don't take everything Mm -hmm. at face value and I I also believe that to be true for everything so even when we're talking about intuitive eating or health every size like don't take it at face value go and do your own research and find out more about it because um I think last I think when we had Evelyn on she said she said there are like over 120 studies on intuitive eating now Mm -hmm. um with more um with kind of I think there's a the latest study was a lot more diverse in terms of Mm -hmm. their participants rather than kind of young white females Mm -hmm. who are college age I think generally is the kind of stuff they've done before so it's really interesting that you know science isn't perfect and it's evolving as well Mm -hmm. um and there's always new information to find um I think that's Uh, Yeah, I think that's really interesting. So something I also wanted to discuss with you, um, because this is something you've been highlighting a lot recently online, and I think we haven't really touched on it much on the podcast. And this is um, the the kind of hierarchy and the way we talk about food. So yes, we talk about food as good and bad, but we Mm -hmm. tend to assign the good food list to things that are like organic, superfoods, Um, I'm trying to think of other words like Mm non-GMO, it's sugar-free, soy-free, dairy-free. Basically at the moment, (laughs) like it's got to the point, because I've been in this wellness world for a while, but it's got to the point that if it's free of something, like you could make a claim that it's free of something Mm -hmm. um, and we'll all buy it. They'll they'll whack a, whack a, uh, ticket on it and we'll pay whatever they're well like the whatever price they say because it's like oh so I can have this energy bar and it's suddenly it's got like some superfood powder berries thing and it's another you know extra three pounds in the UK and you're like Mm -hmm. here's my money (laughs) take it what are your thoughts on that in terms of are there foods that are like are there any of those kind of things we should be buying into like should we be looking for superfoods and are there any claims to warrant a food being super? It's just all marketing, quite honestly. And I, well, first I always tell people if you like something fine, you know, if you like that, um, I'm trying to think of one, like, uh, 
I don't even know, like the powder. Spirulina powder. Yeah, (laughs) thank you. I'm just like, what is out there now? Like it, because also the list changes. So I feel like every single time I Google something, it totally changes. I'm like trying to think. Um, But yeah, like if you like something, fine. But I want people, the message is really for people who sort of feel ashamed that they can't um, Mm. afford something. Um, I want them to know that just because you can't afford those powders or can't afford, you know, the organic because it's always more expensive, that's okay. It doesn't mean that you're not healthy. And it's so important to realize because I can only uh, speak for the States. I, I don't know what it's like in the UK, but as far as organic, most of that, or actually all of that, there's no difference. And there are studies done on this. People also choose to ignore these studies that there is no health difference between organic and um, non-organic. You know, our organic foods are still being sprayed with pesticides. Um, And also people talk about mistrust with the government, but organic foods, believe it or not, over here are still regulated by our government. So it's like you don't trust the government for some things, but clearly you trust the government for other things. So it's sort of contradicting. Um, That's an interesting angle on it because, Mm -hmm. I mean, we're not going to get, I'm going to say something, we're not going to get too into it. But I imagine that kind of like a lot of the wellness world aligns with people who don't necessarily trust vaccines, for example. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And then... Interesting, because obviously then there's a there's a sense of not trusting a vaccine, but mm-hmm. only buying organic. Uh, I didn't realize. Exactly. Yes, it, yes, yeah. yes. It's important to put those pieces of the jigsaw together. Yeah, and it's so funny because those are the people. They're the anti-vaxxers, unfortunately. Um, so you know, I don't think people realize because again. You know, people want to research um, up to a certain level. So even the ones that, of course, I get pushback on this all the time, um, who are pro-organic, pro-non-GMO, it's like, okay, fine. But you realize that the labeling of of organic and non-GMO is still done by the same government, um, that you're still like protesting you don't trust (laughs) with the food. It's the same people. So, you you know, and um, a lot of times they don't realize that. But, you know, back to the point about health, it's, you know, it has been studied that it's not different. Um, You know, you might have a pesticide or two less, but at the same time, what you're actually ingesting in your body is not changing. It's not different. So I want the people that can't afford organic or maybe even I get a lot of um, uh, comments from moms who are like mm-hmm. trying to feed a family of four. And they you know, there's a lot of mom shaming. You know, I, I don't have kids, but from what I hear, there's a lot of mom shaming about what you're feeding your kids, what you're, you know, dressing your kids like, all of that. So a lot of them feel pressure to buy the organic stuff. And they're like, I can't afford this. You shouldn't have to, you shouldn't have to buy it. You don't have to actually. So I just, that's kind of why I keep saying it. And I'm going to keep saying it because I I think it needs to be known. (laughs) There's no difference. It's Mm. so important to talk about that kind of, um, it's elitism in the, in the sense of this idea that, um, to be healthy, you must be able to afford to shop at a certain level. And we do know that your um, socioeconomic status and, um, you know, we know poverty is a huge factor in terms of poor health outcomes. But mm-hmm. it feels like people are being penalized for um, essentially just not having the money to, like, spend to buy the whole mm-hmm. of Whole Foods. Um Mm-hmm. And in London, do you know, in London we have, and I'm sure in New York it's the same because you have that kind of whole mix of people and classes and, mm-hmm. you know, I as have been, you know, as a student particularly was mm-hmm. not in the position to buy anything um, <laughs> that was super or I, because I bought into the super things, I would end up spending my money on those things and then not having other things that I mm-hmm. actually needed, you know? So it was right. kind of like, a miss miss literally misspent um what I did have but yeah this kind of idea that if it's from Whole Foods we have something called Planet Organic here Mm. um all these kind of places if you buy it there then like it must be healthy and I think that's the other thing as well it's like if it's got the word organic on it if it's got the superfood word then um 
I think this is where we get confused with that good or bad thing where we give ourselves a free pass to say like, oh, it's, but it's a superfood brownie. I'll eat three, Mm -hmm. right? And I think that's an interesting one when it comes to intuitive eating because it's like, are you hungry for three? Do you exactly. need three? Mm. What is it because you're, you've told yourself this is quote healthy and therefore you're allowed to eat it so you feel less guilty? Like there's a lot to unpack there. Mm-hmm. And I know that I have been in that mindset for sure. I know totally. a lot of like of my friends and peers, we've all been in that mindset because that was what we were kind of told. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if you buy it from these fancy places, if it has this label on it if it's got maca in it then free pass Mm -hmm. go for it what are your thoughts on that how do we can we start unpacking that and and why we might need to and how we would look at that in an intuitive eating within the intuitive eating framework of of like yeah all the different things Mm -hmm. yeah it's no it's totally true and I think that's another thing, you know, um, with organic and superfoods, but also like low fat and fat free foods too. Um, I notice that people feel the need to eat more. Um, and you know, I, I hear this all the time where someone's afraid of buying the real version, right? Even if it's like you said, a superfood brownie with God knows what's in it. Right. Um, are you really satisfied? Like, you have to really ask yourself because if you're eating three and depending on the size and all that, um, but if you're eating three and you're just, you know, kind of popping them, is it because it tastes good or are you trying to make up for something, you know, if you had an actual brownie, right, made from, you know, the flour and the cocoa and the milk and the eggs instead of whatever's in the superfood one. Um, would you, wouldn't you be more satisfied with just one? So I, I tell people that also because the same thing with, um, like low fat, right? Um, you know, fat isn't bad. And the reason fat, um, is great in foods is because it gives us that satiety, um, which is so important. So, you know, having something like low fat cheese is one or fat free cheese it doesn't taste good. (laughs) And most of the time, people definitely eat a lot of that because they're still trying to, because one, they feel like it's fat free, I can just eat it. But also, it's because they're still like trying to find that satisfaction. And they're not getting there. If they had just bought the full fat version or the regular version, you know, so it's just something for people to think about. Um, oftentimes it's like a mind game when we see labels for sure, organic, you know, there's organic candy now. Like mm-hmm. I, I saw some the other day, like organic lollipops and organic uh, gummies and things I think like you can that. buy like keto ones now as well. I've oh seen. gosh. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, sugar free sugar. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> but you know, it's keto or it's organic. So yeah. it's healthy, right? So it's um, like, it's keto. I'll eat three bags. I, I've, I just see, <laughs> I just observe this so much that, um, that I don't, I just kind of like, I get it because I have a hundred percent been there. Yeah. But I think there's a red flag when we're having to overindulge Mm-hmm. on these diet foods, these um, superfoods, or whatever it is, the thing. Um, and, yeah, like, would it be better if, like, say we wanted just the brownie, like, to, yeah, like you say, just enjoy the brownie, experience mm-hmm. the taste, really um, enjoy it mindfully, and then feel really satisfied. I mean, it's been, like, I was such a volume eater and I used to eat so much because I mm-hmm. never let myself have the real thing I always made right. the healthified version you know mm-hmm. and recently I just <laughs> I just went away with my boyfriend this past weekend and he was saying you just we just don't eat as much as we used to and I'm like I know <laughs> but it's because I'm now letting myself have the real thing right um right. my appetite's a lot less because I'm actually satisfied with what I've ha- what I'm having because uh-huh. I'm genuinely really enjoying it. And I, I also know my body well enough now to have the amount I need rather mm-hmm. than thinking like, you know, I've, I'll eat all this um, and, you know, constantly having a, have to have a snack or whatever and just kind of think, actually, 
do I want that? Do I not want that? Or does that taste good just as it is? Mm-hmm. And it's like, everyone's got a different sweet spot. Everyone. Totally. Some people mm-hmm. with intuitive eating might end up eating more. Some people mm-hmm. might end up eating less. It's very different. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's so interesting how when you really like fine tune it and fine tune that connection with how much you you don't realize all these things are like bypassing your own body signals. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And that's, um, it's so important to realize like intuitive eating takes time. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's definitely progress because you're kind of refiguring out your body. Um, and I'm glad you brought that up where people might eat more yeah. because there's, that's also important to realize people sometimes, again, like everything else in the diet world, we're told about portions and portion sizes, which also is not one size fits all. And it, it happens probably, I would say 60%, not, not even like 80% of the time when I talk to clients, they're not eating enough. I don't care what size they are. Um, you know, they're most of the time they're not eating enough throughout the day. And they're shocked when I tell them that they need more food. Um, because most of the time, even though they come to me and they know my stance, they're still trying to lose weight. Mm -hmm. And I always say you can, if your body is, lets you, if you're, you know, we all have a certain set like weight, um, you can lose weight or you might not. So, you know, you can go either or, but they're always shocked when I'm like, you still need more food. Um, because even if you are trying to lose weight, if you're not eating enough, your metabolism slows down and uh, amongst other things. So it's so important for people to realize, you know, that maybe with intuitive eating, you realize you need a second helping because you're tired all the Mm -hmm. time. Energy is also a big one. People always feel like their energy is just gone and they can't think of why. And I'm like, well, let's look at what you're eating. You're not eating enough food. <laughs> that's, that's why. So yeah, so that's another important note that yes, you might be eating less, but at the same time for a different person, you might be eating more. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. And I think um, to clarify on the point about um, weight loss, I think with the intuitive eating framework, it's, it's about um, letting go of that needing to be the outcome if that makes sense mm-hmm. letting go of yeah, that needing totally. to be the marker of success because like you said we can't exactly predict how a body is going to respond how a person is going to respond because everyone's needs are different everyone's body is different mm-hmm. and we could all let you know some people may lose some people may gain some people may stay the same mm-hmm. um and yeah I was interesting when I was looking on your website about um talking to people because this is a really common question I get and I'm sure you get it as well which Mm -hmm. is the question of like but I want to lose weight so what do I do like can I do this and still want to lose weight can I um and I'd Mm -hmm. love to hear how you answer that with clients and how you work through that so you know I always say because that is definitely um, a very popular (laughs) question so can I lose weight yes I mean technically can you yes but will that be a guarantee? No. So that's, that's kind of what I always say. And I, and I say, you have to be comfortable with, um, kind of letting the numbers go because we're fixated on numbers. That's the whole point. You know, when you want to lose weight, whether, you know, whatever amount it is, it's still a number that you're fixated on and your body you know, as we talked about, might not get there because we all have a certain set weight point. That's why dieting doesn't work, you know, all of that stuff, because you're fighting your body, Um, especially if it's a number that's sort of arbitrary that you kind of just think sounds good. You know, you're looking at your friend, you're looking at a celebrity who weighs this amount, and you're like, okay, that's how much I should weigh. No, because your body isn't the same. Um, you know, we, we all have predisposed, uh, weight. We all have a predisposed body type and it's super important to honor that, um, and not to fight your body essentially. So that's kind of what I always say, because technically, yes, you can maybe depending on your body lose weight, but is that a guarantee? No. Um, and I just, I'm always super clear with my clients where I say, I don't focus on weight loss, 
Mm -hmm. Um, so you have to be super comfortable with the counseling, not being focused on weight loss. The focus should be on building a healthy relationship with food. Um, so that's what we're going to talk about. That's what we're going to work on. Um, and then we'll see what results from that, but I don't counsel towards a number because I I don't think that helps anybody. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, even as in like the personal training perspective, I think it's, um, the same that I believe an individual has an autonomy mm-hmm. to do what they want right mm-hmm. but I am very conscious of not making false promises in exactly. the sense that we know that dieting is successful for a very small percentage of people mm-hmm. um, and long-term weight loss is generally a pretty futile attempt because the likelihood of regaining it back in the next five, 10 years is extremely high. So why don't we try something different? You know, why don't we just take that number away and just put it in a box and, you know, just, and think about it like, okay, so how can we get a good relationship with food? And in the fitness sense, like how can we actually get you enjoying exercise and, doing something consistently that you really enjoy because mm-hmm. you and I both know when it comes to nutrition and when it comes to food, you can enjoy the benefits of nutrition. You can enjoy the benefits of movement without weight having to be without the number on the scale having to be relevant at all. Mm-hmm. Like it, 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 it is so um, independent of that number changing um, that we, yeah, we can put in, Um, we can, you know, really work to like care for our bodies and look after ourselves without having to step on the scale. And Mm -hmm. isn't that liberating? So liberating. (laughs) Yes. It's so, um, yeah, it's just, I've been thinking recently about how, yeah, just not having the scales to step on. I personally haven't stepped on scales for many, many years. Mm -hmm. Just, I, I just feel like, I don't know, like, I don't need to know that number ever again. The only time I'm going to need to know that number is if maybe, like, there's a potential if I can go somewhere and they, I would ask to be blind weighed or ask mm-hmm. why I'm being weighed, potentially if it's another situation of the doctors. Mm-hmm. But besides that, like, I actually don't need to know. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a really powerful thing, I think, mm-hmm. letting go of that. I think so too. I, and that's... One of the things that I also like to promote that, okay, if you don't feel comfortable kind of standing up to a doctor and saying, no, I don't need to be weighed because I'm going in with like, I don't know, an infection on my arm. What are you weighing me for? Like focus on, focus on why I'm here. Um, You know, at least tell them I don't need to know the number or if they do start talking about weight loss and all that other stuff, say, what does this have to do with my diagnosis? What does this have to do with my visit? And make them tell you, Um, you know, because most of the time it has nothing to do. (laughs) You know, I posted something once on weight stigma and um, the stories that people were commenting um, were horrifying uh, because people were being totally pushed aside. Like one woman, um, and I'm I'm kind of uh, rephrasing, I don't remember word for word, but basically she went in with stomach pain And she was dismissed by most doctors because, you know, they looked at her size and they were like, well, just lose some weight. That's all you have to do. And she was like, okay, but I've never had the stomach pain and I've always been the size. So something else is wrong. So finally, she found a doctor. They tested her. Turned out she had um, fibroids that she needed to get surgery for. And I remember she said, like, you know, again, in the comments that the surgeon told her that she probably wouldn't have needed as large of a surgery or as massive as a surgery if they had diagnosed her earlier. And they didn't because she was totally just dismissed with weight loss. So it's things like that where you really, and it's hard, you know, um, I I definitely recognize a privilege there. You know, I I don't know what that's like um, as a thin person, but I, I just really encourage people to advocate for themselves. Um, no matter what, no matter what you look like, because doctors don't always know best. We need them, but they don't always know best. And and those stories were really just, um, ugh, God, they were so sad. <laughs> they, they were just really sad. So I, I'll never forget that post, but yeah. 
I think it goes back to, as we were saying, even about the research, the same as mm -hmm. with when we're getting information about our health is to ask questions mm -hmm. when, you know, and have the strength to ask questions um, or ask others to ask questions on our behalf because exactly. it can be, like you said, a lot can get missed and things get dismissed. And yeah, it's um, that I think that is the one of the biggest um I think one of the biggest, I want to say like scandals or like one of the worst things about mm -hmm. BMI is that so Definitely. many people are going misdiagnosed and mistreated mm -hmm. um, because we're seeing body size first, patient second. Yeah. And we always should be patient first, body size second. Um, Agreed. Mm -hmm. So we were talking about intuitive movement and one thing, another thing you post online, which I love, having had a dance background myself, oh, yeah. are ballet videos. <laughs> and I wanted to talk to you about how you got into ballet. Have you have you danced all your life, or has this been a new thing in adult life? Um, so I started when I was a teenager. Um, so late, yes. So still late. Um, I started when I was a teenager too. Oh, really? Okay, yes. good. So okay, I feel like I'm not alone then. <laughs> and it was just one of those um, like random um, activities, you know, that you kind of just did after school. Uh, and also um, uh, in college, they they had like a dance program um, that I was a part of. So not like training professionally, but I just always did it, um, and I just loved it. But that also definitely triggered a little bit of dysmorphia. Let's be honest, you're looking into a mirror. Mm -hmm. But um, anyway, as far as movement, it, you know, now I'm finding it so relaxing. It's so good to do something, to move around, to move my body. And even um, so dancing, like even walking, things like that. You know, I always encourage people to find movement that feels good for them. And the movement that you enjoy will not be the same as your friend. Some people love those like super hardcore, like boot camp classes. And mm -hmm. you know, that, that personally is not for me. I don't like any else, but um, you know, and other people will like something more calming like yoga and that's fine. You're still doing something for your body because we know that exercise and movement is important, but it's important to find something that you like. So we're big mm -hmm. on that at Train Happy, very mm -hmm. big on finding the thing you enjoy. And how do you find doing ballet as an adult? Do you go to class or I know you post stuff of you doing it yourself, which I love. Are uh -huh. there videos online that you follow? I do. Um, so I used to, um, you know, when things were normal, um, yeah. there was a studio. I, I definitely had a routine where I found a studio that I liked. I found a teacher that I liked, um, a community because they definitely have like, um, classes for every level. Like you could be, you know, just starting at like age 50. That's totally fine. It doesn't matter when, or you could have been like a professional and you're going back to it. So that's what I loved about the community and like going to an actual studio you know now things are shut down still mm. um so now it is online so that's kind of why I'm by myself <laughs> all the time but I still try to keep it up like I I still do something and it's not the same you know the flooring is really bad you know yeah. the space is very limited um but I still I post it because I want people to know that I'm still doing things for myself that it doesn't have to be perfect because, you know, doing things in your apartment is, is not perfect, you know, and it doesn't even have to be ballet, whatever um, exercise you're doing, um, you know, we're all kind of making adjustments. It's not going to be perfect, but that's okay because you're still finding a way to release. So that's important, especially yes, now. Yes, <laughs> I, I think that's such a great point about releasing that need for perfection when it comes to movement, but it's, mm -hmm. I think the biggest learning curve for so many people this year including myself is like having it how you want it to be I know that when we couldn't do anything the things I love doing are not involved in me being at home like I want to swim I love doing my spin classes I love doing all those sorts of things can't do any of that at home and it was really it was really hard to adapt mm. um but I think just doing something rather than looking for it to be exactly perfect is a really good lesson and a good lesson for us perfectionists because I count myself in that one <laughs> someone who wants it's, it to be exactly true. how I want it 
Um, I think it's a tough lesson sometimes, but this year has thrown us all into the deep end of having to figure <laughs> this all out, I think. Totally, totally. A bit of a baptism of fire. You mentioned um, the body dysmorphia with dancing. Mm-hmm. Have you found a good teacher now who who helped with that? Because I know that, so my background, I went to drama school from the ages of 18 to, oh, I think I was 23. Mm-hmm. So I did five years of full-time singing, dancing, acting every day. Had never really danced before that experience. Um, and, you know, like you said, mirrors. Every day there are mirrors. Um, mm-hmm. You're in, particularly in ballet, it's like tights and leotard. Um, and I think in my early 20s, that's when I personally was most susceptible to the diet culture and the messaging and um yeah the comparison for me it wasn't so much my reflection in the mirror it was what my reflection looked like in comparison to other people's that because obviously I was in a very competitive environment as well mm. and um I wondered yeah I, I I don't think I think it depends on your teacher because I know I've had teachers who have been yeah who have been um toxic and other teachers who have been really encouraging and I've never, you know, that's, I've not consciously felt like they were looking at my body. Like, it's, you know how we're saying about the doctors, like looking at the body before they look at the person. Yeah. Because that's how it can be in, in the dance scenario as well. How did you find an inclusive, welcoming instructor? Um, yeah, because the first um, few classes, so when, you know, the body dysmorphia actually didn't happen to me until my early 20s. Like, when I was a teenager, it was fine. Um, yeah. Surprisingly. <laughs> um, <clears throat> sorry. But um, I think, I'm trying to think how old I was. Um, definitely young, because, you know, like yourself, I was definitely um, susceptible to those things. So probably 23, 24 yeah. was when I was out on my own. Um, after graduating college, and then um, finding a studio in my neighborhood. And the teacher there, I loved. I absolutely loved her. Um, I liked her classes, but it was very diet. Um, not that she promoted this, but the thing is that I was still looking at other people comparing myself. Mm. Also looking at what your typical like ballerina looks like, and also looking at everything right still like I was in fashion so still like always wanting to be like thin body Mm -hmm. and so that's when I started dieting like hardcore and I did lose a bunch of weight and you know even though it was so unhealthy I remember um she came up to me and she was like you've never looked better and I was like (laughs) I was like I'm starving myself um you know so that was kind of and I felt great with that compliment and that Mm -hmm. encouraged me to go farther um so (laughs) yeah yeah exactly right um (laughs) and you know you get compliments from other people like wow you look really good and I'm just like okay this means that I have to like sustain this and I mean it was it was bad like my energy was low um I looked not great. Um, you know, as a woman, I definitely stopped like menstruating. So it was not great. (laughs) And I just remember my body fighting back and I got sick. I did get really sick. And that's kind of when I had to take a break just because my body couldn't do it. And I remember regaining the weight, of course, because we know diets don't work and my body wasn't at that set point. Um, and just being like, what was I doing that for? Like, I'm not, the dance classes at that point were still just for myself. Still, it's a great exercise. It's a great exercise. Mm. But what was I doing that for? Like, I'm not going to be in a tutu anytime soon. Like, what was I doing that for? So I think that's sort of what sparked it. And then, you know, I moved uh, different neighborhoods and I found a new studio. And I did find a teacher that didn't care about any of that, uh, a studio that was actually, you would think that the opposite would happen because this particular studio that I'm still dancing with now um, actually has like uh, professional dancers go to, but they are more like um, different body types. Like it's very like contemporary. So it's more accepting. You see like Mm. all different looks up there, which I think helped. And I was like, everyone looks amazing. 
Like this mm-hmm. is probably where I need to be. And you know, the corrections that I was getting was pure technique, not like, well, maybe you could like do something with your thighs. So it was like, you know, it was definitely, it definitely helped. So it makes all the difference. For people listening who are looking for dancers who (laughs) are breaking the stereotypes, there's a couple of amazing people. I don't know if you follow Amanda LeCount. Yes. She is, I think she's like 18 years old. She's been in Katy Perry music video. She's an incredible kind of hip hop street dancer. Mm -hmm. And then there's a guy, I think he's called Eric Kavanaugh. I think that's his name. And he's, uh, well, he dances in heels. Uh-huh. I want to see how I'm just I'm gonna go and just look him up very quickly while we're doing this yeah he is so great yeah I've he's never heard of him before oh, that's amazing he's amazing so he does ballet contemporary but he also does it in heels oh my um, god <laughs> but he's he's kind of he's his thing is he's changing the dancer body so he is a bigger guy and but he kills it he's like doing split jeté jumps oh my gosh. and his and then energy. And you know when everyone was doing the WAP? Yes, yes. He did it and it was incredible. He's one of my favorite people to follow. Oh my God. Um, and I just love that it's a guy doing it. I think that's yeah, really powerful because yeah. we need more of that in dance, especially um, especially when it's challenging those dancer stereotypes. So totally. I will link those people below. Amanda LeCount, Eric Kavanaugh, go follow them. Um, mm-hmm. They're amazing because... I think, yeah, like you said, it's important to have those people particularly in that dance space. Okay, mm. Shana. Um, so with that bearing in mind, every <laughs> every week we like to ask uh, each guest what has been the most recent train happy moment. So what has been a moment recently where you felt connected to your body? Maybe it's been through movement. Maybe mm. it's just been a little win when you, you've honored it to rest or it's been something to do with, it, I mean, it can be, it doesn't have to be movement. It could be food, mental health. It could be anything related to that. But what has been mm-hmm. your most recent train happy moment? Um, definitely uh, mental health. And I know this is going to sound um, kind of weird, but I've learned to say no to things. Yes. (laughs) And I I think that, and I say it sounds weird because, um, you know, we don't think of that as mental health, but I, I very much, um, always think, or always used to think that I had to say yes to every opportunity, no matter how big or small. And I've finally just started saying, no, I, I'm not available to do this. Um, And because it used to, like with work and everything like that, it was taking a toll and I was getting very stressed. Um, And now that I've been saying no more, (laughs) I I have noticed my anxiety levels decreasing. I have slept better. Um, So I think it's so important for people to know that no is a complete sentence. Um, And, you know, I'm sure people have seen that uh, quote but it's, you don't need to explain why. And, you know, at first when I said no, I was like, I'm so sorry, I can't do it. I have all, and now it's just like, I'm not available. I'm sorry. That's, and that's it. Um, You know, so I think that's so important for people to realize when they're being stretched too thin. And I, I definitely feel like the weight lifted off my shoulders and I feel like I've just finally gotten to an aha moment. <laughs> it took a long time, but I'm finally there. Um, so that definitely has been a great time for me. And it's it's only been like a couple of weeks now, but it's working. <laughs> the boundaries are so important. Just putting mm-hmm. that in place and protecting your energy and what you feel you want to do. Um, and yeah, I I can be semi okay with that one but likewise you know could be better could uh-huh. be better um <laughs> but you're right it's about picking and choosing what feels right for you um uh-huh. and then it does allow for you to have time to do the things you do enjoy so that means like you exactly. get I suppose like obviously you get better sleep but also whether it is like able to cook yourself dinner or you know have time to do some dancing and all those exactly. sorts of things <laughs> Shana, this has been an absolute pleasure to have you on. I would love you to um, tell everyone where they can find you and follow your work. Definitely. Um, so my Instagram handle is the nutrition tea. Um, actually, it's Instagram and um, Twitter. 
uh, just the nutrition tea and my website is sort of the same, the nutrition tea.com. So I'm like super easy to find. <laughs> you just have to remember the nutrition tea and I'm there. Um, so I post a lot on Instagram and if you're looking for a deeper dive into counseling or things like that, my website is the nutrition tea.com. I think now you said, Oh, they're like, Oh, she's the nutrition tea.com. Yes. I, I reckon most people listening will have seen one of your posts. And okay. then when you're going to get, you're now going to go on Shana's Instagram and you're going to be like, yes, I love her, love all her posts. <laughs> um, and I think particularly if you're in looking to be more intuitive, looking for a non-diet approach, looking for that, then you're a great person to follow. Because like I said, everything is on the money and just these really great reminders to challenge the thoughts we've had and to challenge our behaviors and, and how we perceive things. I think it's really important. Um, thank you so much for joining us this week. Oh, thank you for having me. <laughs> yes, it's been an absolute pleasure. I'm really, really glad we could do it. Um, yes. And hopefully I'll get to speak to you again soon, maybe. Yes, yes, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> and that is it for this week's episode of the Train Happy Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you took something away from this episode. And if you did, please let me know by sending feedback. You can find us on Instagram at Train Happy Podcast. Or even better, it would be amazing if you could rate and review the podcast on whichever platform you're listening, as it really, really helps to support and boost the Train Happy message. And remember, if you have had a recent moment where this stuff has just started clicking for you, then share your story with us via email, trainhappypodcast at gmail.com to become the train happy trooper of the week. And if you have a burning question you would like me to answer, then please send those in too. And it may be answered in our bonus Q&A episodes. Once again, thank you for listening and I will speak to you soon. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.